The reading is out of Zephaniah 1 from verse 14 up to chapter 2, verse 3. Zephaniah 1 from verse 14 up to 2, verse 3. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Gather together, gather yourselves together, your shameful nation, before the decree takes effect and that day passes like wind-blown chaff before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. This is the word of God. Uh, thank you, Faye, for reading God's word to us this morning. May you bow your heads as I ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that you have sent to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us this morning to listen to your word as you speak to us through and from the book of Zephaniah. Use me as a mouthpiece to bring your word this morning to your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Professor White informed me a month ago that I would be preaching on the book of Zephaniah, the initial reaction in my heart was, oh my word, I've never had a sermon on this book. And then later on, when I had a conversation with some of the members, whether they have had a sermon on Zephaniah, I think the answer I got was no. So except Gillian, who mentioned that she knows only Zephaniah chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 17. So it is a verse that has inspired even hymn writers. And today, 
is the opportunity for us to hear God's word from this wonderful book. But who is Jephaniah? Well, little is known about this guy, this prophet. The only information we have about Jephaniah is found in verse 1, where Jephaniah was introduced as the son of Cushi and a descendant of King Hezekiah. And his ministry was during the reign of King Josiah. Josiah is also the grand-grandson of Hezekiah, who ruled Judah around 640 to 609 BCE. So this made Jephaniah to be the only prophet, probably, only prophet who probably descended from a royal family. And in fact, his use of the praise this place in reference to Jerusalem in chapter 1, verse 4, indicates that he is probably an inhabitant of the city. So during this period, the ten tribes in the northern kingdom were already taken as captives by Shal Manasseh III, the king of Assyria. And Judah was not independent either, but rather a colony. And in this period, Judah actually reached, reached its peak due to the sins of Manasseh, who was portrayed as the worst king ever in Judah. And he was even described as worse more than the Amorites who preceded him. But Josiah turned out to be a good king, the last good king of Judah who followed God's commands. After discovering the book of the law, Josiah began a great religious revival in Judah. So Jephaniah the prophet helped fan the flames of the revival by warning the people that judgment is coming if they did not turn away from their sins. So the book of Jephaniah follows a familiar pattern of the prophetic writings like Amos, Habakkuk, where judgment is pronounced on Judah as well as the surrounding nations. After the message of judgment in the first two and a half chapters, there is a declaration of restoration process that sounds strongly in the second half of, the, of chapter 3. So before looking at the, uh, the section that was read to us, let's first have an overview of the book. First, the book opens with an introduction of Jephaniah as, uh, as who traces his genealogy back to King Hezekiah, one of the few good kings in Judah. And then in verses 2 to 9 was the announcement of the forthcoming destruction. This section implies that the destruction will be all-encompassing, affecting both humans and animals. And the judgment is said to be severe and unrelenting, as we have heard from the reading, from the reading leaving no room for escape or refuge. And the reason behind the looming destruction is the people's disobedience and their wickedness, because they have turned away from God to idolatry. Then in verses 10 to 18 of chapter 1 is the description of the destruction. This section actually portrays a chaos and devastation that will befall the land. The destruction is depicted as a day of reckoning, a day of distress, anguish, and a day of darkness. The treasures and the wealth accumulated 
by the people will be rendered useless and unable to save them from the wrath of God. The destruction will be swift and thorough, sparing no one and leaving no survivors. But in chapter 2, there is a chance to repentance. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. The prophet calls upon the people to gather together and seek the Lord. They are asked to humble themselves and to turn away from wickedness. The hope is that by turning back to God, they may find mercy and escape the imminent destruction. The message, the passage encourages them to find mercy and they encourages them to seek righteousness and humility, acknowledging their dependence on God and recognizing their need for forgiveness. It also serves as the final flea for the people to change their ways and align themselves with God, which, has, which actually offers a glimmer of hope in the midst of the devastation. In chapter 2, verse 15, 15, was the prophecy against the nations. The prophet describes the judgment that will befall different cities and regions, including Philistine, Moab, Ammon, Cush, and Assyria. Each nation is warned of its impending doom due to the arrogance, the idolatry, and the mistreatment of God's people. The prophecy portrays the destruction as a result of punishment, and it also highlights God's sovereignty over all nations. Despite their once flourishing and powerful status, these nations will be reduced to ruin. However, in the midst of the judgment, a glimmer of hope is again offered to the remnants of God's people who remain faithful. In chapter 3, verse 1 to 8, was the prophecy against the city Jerusalem. In this section, the, the prophet criticizes the city for its rebellion and disobedience towards God. It portrays, it portrays Jerusalem as a city filled with oppression, violence, and corruption. The rulers and officials are described as roaring lions, and the prophets are portrayed as unfaithful and deceitful. Despite being a city that God once was chose for his name, has now become polluted and deceitful. But yet there was a glimmer of hope. The last part of the book, which is actually from verses 9 to 20, offers a picture of joy to Jerusalem. In this section, the prophet encourages the people of Zion and Jerusalem to rejoice and be glad because the Lord has removed their punishment and has turned back their enemies. The Lord, the God of Israel, is with them and they are encouraged not to fear any longer. The people were reassured that God is their mighty warrior who saves and takes delight in them. In short, the last part of the book conveys a message of hope, deliverance, and restoration from God to his people. Now let's turn to the part, the section that was read to us this morning.
The message of Jephaniah revolves around the day of the Lord, as it was beautifully read to us. The phrase the day, the phrase, the day of the Lord is repeated eight times in chapter 1, including with demonstrative like on that day. So the concept of the day of the Lord contains a message for Judah during its time, which I will regard as a historical event with an immediate effect. But also it is a message with an eschatological implication, meaning it has something that, it, it is something that will take place in the last days. But what is the day of the Lord? Of course, the praise the day of the Lord does not mean 24 hours as we define our day today. Rather, it is a concept found in the books of the Old Testament, including Zephaniah, Isaiah, Joel, and other prophets who have spoken about the day of the Lord. It refers to a, a future period of divine judgment and intervention, often associated with the coming of God's ultimate and final judgment upon the world. In other words, it is a time when God declares his sovereignty and executes justice upon the wicked. This concept can arguably be supported by paying attention to the universal language. If you turn to chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 in particular, God says, I will sweep away everything. I will sweep away both men and beasts. I will sweep away the birds and fish when I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth. And again, when you turn to chapter 3, verse 8, God says, Therefore, for me, therefore wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day I will stand up to testify. I've decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger, the whole world will be consumed by the fire of jealous God. This is a universal verdict which echoes Genesis chapter 6 to 8 and it will take place on the final day. Yet it is also true that the message has immediate implications as we know that Judah has reached its highest peak due to the sin, sins of Manasseh. The sins of Manasseh is recorded in chapter in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 10 to 15. When the Lord says through his servant the prophet, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I'm going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tickle. I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria and the flame line used against the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and give them into the hands of their enemies. They will be looted and floundered by all their enemies. They have done evil in my eyes and have aroused my anger from the day their ancestors came out of Egypt until this day. So when you read the book of Zephaniah, chapter 1, 
it actually echoes what God has said. And this is the reason why God has determined that destruction is to come because of what Israel has done, turning away from him. So we are going to look into this in two sections. The day of the Lord as a punishment for sin, and then the day of the Lord as a renewal and restoration. First, the day of the Lord as a punishment for sin, we have seen in verse 14 and 15, when the prophet said the day, the great day of the Lord is near, near and is coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. You know, already, Israelites, when they entered the promised land, God told them, instructed them, commanded them to wipe away all the inhabitants, the Canaanites, those people who are there on the land before them. But Israel failed to remove all those people. And gradually they began to turn to worship the gods that the Canaanites do, the Canaanites worship. The gods just as like Baal and Molech, which is actually mentioned here, and God was angry. That's why the message that the, the prophet Zephaniah is speaking is a day that God has determined. God has determined that the day of judgment will happen soon without delay. And look at the reputation of the nearness. It's something that is imminent, and it is coming. And the day is described with images of chaos, fear, distress, trouble, darkness, and gloom. The prophecies, God says on that day, neither silver nor gold will be able to save the people from his wrath. The judgment is brought upon the people because of their unfaithfulness and their wickedness. Because they have turned from worshiping God to worship gods which are with small g, Baal and Molech. Therefore, the destruction is coming. It's coming to the remnants of Baal and the idolatrous priest in verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4. And also to those who mixed the worship of God and Molech, verse, uh, verse 5. To those who reject Yahweh, verse 6. And then in chapter 3, it's actually directed to those who are oppressors and rebellious. And to the disobedient ones, disobedient ones and those who do not trust in God. Judgment is directed to those who are rolling lions and evening wolves and those who profane the sunshine. And in these verses, it is clear that God has the ultimate authority to bring about the destruction to these groups that are mentioned. To emphasize this further, the pronoun I in chapter 1 is repeated 10 times, accompanied by powerful and decisive verbs like I will sweep away, I will cut off, I will stress my hand, I will punish, and I will bring distress. The repetition of the pronoun implies that God 
himself is directly involved in the process of bringing about the destruction. And the verbs illustrates the forceful action that God will take, such as sweeping away, punishing, and bringing distress to all people groups, kings, princes, kings, officials, priests, businessmen and women, and even farmers. Jephaniah warned the people of Judah that if they did not change their minds or their ways and seek for forgiveness, the entire nation, including the beloved city of Jerusalem, will be destroyed. Does this sound familiar? When we think about what is happening today in our world, the love of things is stronger than the love of God. And our obedience to our desires is stronger than our obedience to God's voice, to God's word. Sometimes we think of God as this kind Heavenly Father, nice to be around. But sometimes God, not sometimes God, has the power to bring judgment to the wicked. He is holy, and therefore he will actively judge and justly punish everyone who lives in sin. Friends, when we, when people are indifferent to God, they will be surprised to find that the great day of the Lord is near. This warning is also for you and me today as well, because the day of the Lord is coming near. On the 23rd of April this year, near the coastal city of Malindi, a large burial seat was found where, where over 300 people died from starvation in Shakahola Forest uh, in southwest Kenya. This tragic event was a result of the orders given by the pastor of the Good News International Church called Paul Mackenzie. He instructed his followers, including children, to starve themselves to death to reach heaven before the world ends. The pastor predicted that the world will end between August 2022 to April 2023. And even some of those who are rescued by the authority still refuse to eat because they believe it will prevent them from escaping the tragic destruction which is about to come into the world, just as Mackenzie has predicted. I wonder if Mackenzie picked a book like Zephaniah chapter 1 and preached to his congregation and tell them to starve themselves to death because destruction is coming to the world. Friends, if, if the book ends with this picture of destruction, these awful days, what hope will it be for you and me? And probably that's why Mackenzie in Kenya misled people, claiming to be a prophet, predicting making lies, and killing people 
over 300 people died. But the good news is, that is not the end of God's plan. God has a message, a good news for the people of Judah. And this takes us to the second point. The day of the Lord is renewal and restoration. Look with me in verse 3 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. First, the prophet is calling the people of Israel to seek the Lord. This involves active spiritual activity of seeking God's providence, allying oneself with his will. It also implies that seeking God, one has to acknowledge their dependence on him and recognize the significance of a strong connection with God. Because God is the one who is going to bring the destruction because of the sins. But if people seek the Lord, seek for him with humility, he will relent. It also highlights the importance of actively pursuing a relationship with God, obeying his commands, and living a righteous and humble life. By doing so, individuals may find shelter and protection in the face of the judgment. I think this message, this verse also is a reminder of the significance of spiritual devotion and the moral living that the people of God are asked. But God knows that still because of their failure, because of the sin, they cannot even do it. That's why chapter 3, verse 9 to 20 offers the beautiful image. This last part of the book presents a distinct contrast to the other part. It highlights the contrast even further, to, to highlight the, the contrast even further, the sentence draws attention to the reputation of I. We have I in chapter 1 for destruction. Now we have beautiful I, God promising to do what he wants to do for his people. It is repeated 12 times, followed by a strong verbs, action verbs like, I will purify, I will remove, I will leave the meek and the humble, I will deal, I will rescue, I will give, I will gather, I will restore. This reputation of I indicates that it is God himself who will take the decisive action. The action verb serves to reinforce the intensity and the certainty of God's involvement. The reputation that the prophet used I, I again, employs these powerful verbs. The prophet seeks to emphasize God's love and compassion. It communicates and in, it communicates that despite the dark image and the impending judgment, God's love remains steadfast and unwavering to those who seek his correction, to those who trust in him 
and to those who draw near to him. God promised to purify them. God promised to protect them. God promised to ultimately restore those who are meek and humble. The message also assures Jerusalem of God's God's faithfulness and his presence among them. They were encouraged not to fear or be discouraged. Why? Because their God is is in their midst as a mighty warrior who will save them. Friends, as we have seen, these two parts of the book of Zephaniah, we have seen that God is a God who takes sin seriously. The destruction, the message of the destruction is because of the sin that the the people in Judah has committed. They have rejected God. They no longer listen to his correction. And because of that, God brought about the judgment. Yet, in the second part, part of the book, it is the contrast to say, even if I will punish you, I will still be compassionate to you. But it's not going to be immediate, as my brother White earlier has said. They have to go to exile. They have to be punished. They have to face this. But still, God says he's faithful and loving to his promises. And indeed, God brought them back from the exile. So do we need to worry about the day of the Lord as Christians? Absolutely not. No. The New Testament presents Jesus as the one who fulfills the ultimate day of the Lord, inaugurating it in his death and resurrection and consummating it in his second coming. So for us as believers, Jesus' death on the cross signals the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. And probably for you who are familiar with the Jesus' movie acted by Brian Deacon, you can sense, you can see from the movie what was described about the day of the Lord in chapter 14 and in, in verse 14 and 15 is actually what we see in the movie. The pain, the agony, the darkness, the gloom, all those things happened when Jesus was on the cross. That is God's judgment over sin. And it is done on Christ. So his resurrection marks a start of a new creation, a new beginning. Just as the apostles Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 and 6, say those for those who are walking in the light, those who are spiritual, meaning the believers who have faith in Jesus Christ, the coming of the day of the Lord will not be a surprise. It will not be a surprise. It it will not be a day of sadness. It will be a day of vindication that surely I belong to God, you belong to God. But if you are an unbeliever, the same picture that we see happening, explained in the book to the, to the, 
to the people of God is going to happen again. The pain, the wrath, the, the nursing of teeth is going to happen in that last day. So to escape God's judgment, we must listen to God's word. We must accept his correction. We must trust in him. We must seek for God's guidance. We must take refuge in Jesus and we must accept him because in him the punishment is done. Don't let material comfort to be a barrier to your commitment to God. Prosperity can lead to attitude of pride and self-sufficiency. But it is clear in the book that world, wealth and all materials possession can never save us from the day of the Lord's judgment. And we cannot do anything good to save ourselves, but God himself can save us if we obey him. The day of the Lord is near for us. As the Apostle Peter wrote in Second Peter chapter 3. The Babylonian conquest, it indeed just happened as horribly as the prophet Jephaniah described. A total destruction. So God's day of judgment is also surely going to come on the last day, which most of the New Testament writers call as the day of the Lord. For us to be spared, it is our standing with Christ. It is our faith in him because of what he has done. And that day will be a day of vindication. It will be the day when we can say, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you and in him he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. So this is the verse that has inspired many hymn writers and it is the verse that Gillian remembered in the book. It paints the beautiful image of how that day one day will look like. Even when we think things are not going well at the moment, when we continue putting our faith and trust in Jesus, when he comes, it will be beautiful. Amen.